Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hey there. Because you're listening to this podcast, we at Blue Wire want you to know this. One, we freaking love you. And two, we want to learn more about you. Help us make more content you'll love by filling out a survey you can find in the description of this podcast. You'll help us out a ton, and you'll have a chance to win a Blue Wire t-shirt, hoodie, or a pair of AirPods. We appreciate you, hope you're staying safe, and want you to enjoy this podcast. Blue Wire. Breaking news, Terry Rozier. He'll be the next starting point guard of the Charlotte Hornets. Step back, wide open, and it's good! Terry Rozier! All right, what's up? And welcome into another BuzzBeat, your Charlotte Hornets podcast on the Blue Wire Network. This is Richie, and I'll be joined by Spencer and Brian today. This episode is brought to you by our partners, betonline.ag. I haven't said this in a while, guys, but if you haven't had the chance to rate and review our podcast, we'd really appreciate it. If you guys can take that minute out of your day to do that, uh, you guys have no idea how much that helps our exposure. So on today's episode... I think a lot of you guys have been clamoring for this. We are going to reveal our top 10 big board individually. We'll have three separate ones uh, for the NBA draft. Brian and Spencer, anything new in your life? Anything exciting going on? Um, I'm on the last week of my first term of uh, trying to get my master's degree. So that's uh, haven't had a whole lot of time the past six weeks to do draft scouting, but we've got time to kill before the draft. So that's okay. Um, So yeah, that's what's big in my world. It's like, it's like uh, being a little kid the night before Christmas. I can't wait to have this uh, this turn behind me. And then a week to catch my breath, and, and we start again. So, Well, that's good to hear. And summer school is nuts, I'm sure, especially for a, a graduate-level program, too. Um, yeah, not too much going on. Uh, just watching a lot of basketball and uh, marathoning through TV. I have mm-hmm. made it back to the finale for The Sopranos. So... The show that I picked up last summer, enjoyed, got caught up with some other things, sort of put down, and then jumped back in like a month or so ago. And uh, man, I've really been really been enjoying it. So I've got just the finale left, which is uh, Oof, exciting. Man. May may get to that tonight, actually. So no, uh, yeah, just trying to stay healthy, uh, stay in touch with with friends and family as much as possible, and. Uh, and yeah, watch a lot of basketball that we have four months now yeah. between between now and when the actual uh, 2020 NBA draft will be, which that was announced recently. It'll take place Friday, October 16th. And what's going to be nuts, too, is like you turn around and the 2021 draft's going to be, you know, eight months after that, too. So it's going to going to come quickly. BG, I, I, I want to hear what what your feedback is on the end of The Sopranos. We'll do, yeah. It is, it is a point of contention for many, so I'll be interested yeah. to see what you think. I'm aware of some of the, the the frustrations or indifference that some people have to it, so I know that it's sort of a controversial finish, and uh, I am excited to, to see sort of what my initial reactions to, to that will be. This sounds like a stupid question, but does that show hold up over time? I know that you're rewatching it because you have watched yeah. it before, so it's a little bit different. But like, if someone's going to watch it for the first time, does it still kind of hold up? I think. I, I think. I think yeah. So. Yeah. I think it. I think it stands the test of time. The characters are amazing. There's mm-hmm. so many different of them. Uh, the character development, uh, you know, beyond the sea throughout the seasons is awesome. I would recommend Sopranos 20 years from now. I, I think. I think it is uh, it is like like a like a like a great movie or a novel that stands the test of time. I think The Sopranos does similar to The Wire, yeah, which was on HBO around the same time, and similar to Deadwood too, which is a little different because that's sort of like a period piece. It's set well before the show was obviously filmed, um, but those are three shows, amazingly, all on HBO at the same time that I would recommend to, to anyone to, to start and, and watch start to finish. And they have high degrees of, uh, 
uh, rewatchability, yeah. I would say too. Well, it's funny you mentioned rewatchability because I, I'm rewatching Friday Night Lights for like the fifth or sixth time because I got my college roommates to get into that show, and I don't know. I was trying to find a new show to watch. I couldn't. I couldn't get into some of them, so I just rewatched Friday Night Lights, and it's definitely not the best show that I've ever watched. Obviously, Wire is, is probably that top spot mm-hmm. for me, but I can rewatch Friday Night Lights probably more than I can The Wire. It's a good show, man. Yeah. It's I like the show, but also like I'm a sucker. Like I love the book and I love the movie. I know they're not those those three, you know, aren't the same thing. But um, yeah, the the show is a is a great cast of characters and it yeah. stays fresh too. I feel like over the course of the entire show. Richie, you you love The Wire, I know because we've talked about it. I and I love The Wire as well. Love it. It's definitely in my top three. And I never thought I would have, like my wife had to force me to watch Sopranos and now I, I would rank Sopranos above the wire. That's Ooh. how much I would recommend Ooh. it. Yeah. Okay. yeah, it's awesome. I might have to give that a shot. So, all right, we're gonna go ahead and get into this big board reveal. But before we talk about our actual players in the top 10, I kind of want to start a discussion about how we ranked these players. How much was How much weight was given to their numbers in college? versus maybe just kind of watching them on tape? Uh, Did you give much consideration to maybe their ceiling or floor, upside, age? I know we have that discussion all the time about age of a player. Uh, But Spencer, you actually created like a little Excel sheet. I I know you don't think it's that complicated, but I I tried to replicate yours or try to make one very similar. And then I kind of gave up after the first 10 players. I'm not gonna continue with it. Uh, But what all went into that? And uh, I know you guys, I know you had your eye test, but like what, what all went into that Excel sheet that you created? Yeah, so I just, I really went with uh, six categories, well, five categories, and then like an index score, which is just an average of those five scores. So offense, defense, motor. So really, I'm just trying to figure out how hard the player goes on a consistent basis. Feel for the game is a category, and then ceiling. So, you know, by ceiling, I mean, okay, what, where can this player, how high can he go? What's his potential as a prospect? So I just combined, you know, from a one to 10 scale in each one of those categories, I just averaged them out. And then that gave me my index score, um, which, which is the one on the far right of my column, which I, I will, or uh, of my spreadsheet, which I will reveal at, at some point. I got out to a really hot start and got, uh, I'm through 16 prospects and then <laughs> school started for me. And that hadn't been, uh, the momentum kind of slowed. But so really that's that's what went into it. And so I, what I, why I wanted to do that is because I wanted to compare what my eyes were telling me and kind of just like my feel for a prospect mm-hmm. as I watch him and don't look at any of the stats, how I feel about that prospect, and then actually break it down and segment the different parts of the game that this player and how I think about that. And so to see how the two compare. And I was surprised, I really was. And we'll get into some of that later, but that's how I graded you know, my big board. Right. That's what I did too. I created this spreadsheet and it's not as, as complicated as yours. It literally is just offense, defense, floor, ceiling. <laughs> that's all it is. Yeah. Um, but I, I based it off my eye test first and I did the top 10 and, and then I went back and, and, and inputted those numbers like you did. And, and some of the index score on the, on the far right, like yours, didn't necessarily match up with my top 10 in terms of like where they ranked. They were kind of all about the same the same area. But, you know, I, I guess my thing is, is like I, when you look at numbers, Brian, and, and you're big into this, you're looking at numbers, you know, that you can't just use those numbers without some kind of context because, you know, for example, Isaac Okora has a really, really high field goal percentage, but that doesn't mean he's necessarily a great shooter by any means. So it's one of those things where I, I kind of uh, valued my eye test probably higher than I did the numbers. What about you, yeah. Brian? How'd you, how'd you kind of evaluate? It's both. They're, they're both super important. And if, and if you want to, I mean, I, I, maybe you can say that the numbers are slightly more important, but like you, it has to come with, with watching the film and um, not just to see how these guys play, but that was sort of the benefit of getting for me is, you know, when I, especially when I get to go to games at Duke, you're sitting courtside. And that's, that's like important to see too, is, you know, how guys react when they're on the bench you know, how willing are they to, they to listen to, to coaching? I mean, look, that those intangible stuff, that's further down the list, but how much do they, do they give it up for their teammates? Like all of that stuff, um, how much do they talk to the refs? Like all of that matters. It all goes into the same package as you're trying to like take the best guess. Um, and you, so there's a lot of things that I, that I factor in. Age is obviously real important. Although as we've discussed on this pod before too, like I don't, value age quite as much as, as some other uh, study years of, of the draft do, though it is quite important, but also look at fit, 
you know, defensive fit, versatility. How many positions can this person guard? Could you envision seeing this 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 prospect playing leverage minutes um, in the postseason? I think about that. Um, look at stocks numbers. So that has some sort of indicator as far as defensive impact. Team defense super important, and that's where the film really comes right. in as well too. And um, shooting and that breaks down a lot of different ways where are their shots coming from efficiency the the amount of the volume off the catch the volume that are off the dribble the amount of unassisted shots the amount that come at the rim all of that stuff matters and obviously it scales differently based on position but um yeah i think one of the things that's so tough with the evaluating the draft is it's an inexact science and there's just so much that can be taken into account there's so much information so yeah, you've just got to add like, that's why like you guys did come up with a little spreadsheet to help you organize things that, that makes a lot of sense. But yeah, this is three point volume amount of shots at the rim, the percentage of those that are unassisted free throw rate um, stocks. Those are, these are some of the main uh, m- metrics that I'm keeping an eye on in terms of analytics. Yeah, and Brian, you know, he brings up some like some really, really important categories that are not, I mean, they are in a sense of like baked into the cake of, of my numbers. But when I first started putting this spreadsheet together, I, I like got up to like 12 categories as I was like, this is over. <laughs> like yeah. I, I, have, I have to start combining some of these. Yeah. So that's why I just pulled it down to like offense, defense. And so some of these things that like Brian was talking about, what was talking about, they're so important. I just had to kind of combine them into, I said, okay, you get five cat- categories. So pick your, your most important five and mm-hmm. then, all these other things you're looking at, you're just going to have to kind of consolidate down into these. So, uh, so yeah, very inexact science to be sure. Yeah. And, and I would say too, like it's also having these conversations, like the running conversation on this podcast or on Twitter or in the, the Buzzbeat Slack thread or text threads with my friends or colleagues or whatever. Like, I think unless it's Zion Williamson going number one and that that's totally, you know, immovable, everyone should lock him in as the one prospect. I think it's totally fine for you to be constantly thinking and and changing your opinions. I mean, don't drive yourself crazy overthinking on these things, but no one should be in a rush to be right about all of this stuff. You should be trying to do the best job to evaluate prospects and think about how they project the next level. And and I think that's sort of uh, important a step in the process as well. Right. I, I wouldn't think that your big board today will be exactly the way it's going to look come October. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, with me, especially, I have not seen as many prospects as you have. So if we come out with another big board draft episode, I very well could have someone in the top 10 that will now be, you know, sliding back to my 11 to 20 range. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You should be constantly kind of evaluating things. And I guess one last thing before we get into the reveal, how much stock do you guys put into like the ceiling versus the floor? I think there's a lot of, there's several prospects in my top five, top 10 that I feel like have a high variance. Like they have a low floor, but they could be really, really good. You know, it's, it's one of those things where you're trying to project upside. Like maybe it's just like this kid has all these physical tools and they have certain pieces here or there, but putting it all together, they quite haven't done it on the college level. But then you also might be scared off by the fact that they could, could completely bottom out in the league. So yeah. I, I mean, that th- those, those types of prospects scare me a lot, but mm-hmm. I, I am intrigued by the ceiling sometimes more than I am the floor. I think it definitely works both ways. I mean, you know, if you averaged out all the mock drafts right now, I would say like the two top prospects, no, 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 the three top prospects, you know, Wiseman, Edwards, and Ball, every single one of those guys has a, an extremely high volatility, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when it comes to, to where they land uh, in their NBA careers. And, and that's why we've talked about on this podcast, why it's just probably better to have a pick in the middle or late lottery in this mm-hmm. specific draft um, than others. So, but I think it works both ways because look, I've got a guy at the very top of my board who I was talking about my index score earlier, who has one of the lowest index scores right. of my top 16 prospects. Now that's where my feel I have to value that right now. In some cases, I'm going to value the numbers more on a prospect. Um, I think Tyrese Halliburton's a great example of that. You know, you, you have to, it, it works both ways on different prospects. I might value one prospect lower because of how low his ceiling might be. And then another prospect who has a high volatility, I, I actually might have him at the top of my board because I just believe in his ceiling. That's where you have to 
you have to have some instinct in this process, I think. Yeah, it's it it's so case by case too. Like it's obviously most directly at the prospect A versus prospect B versus prospect C and D. Yes, but then even it depends on the year of the draft, uh, free agency situations, team needs, um, you know, cap, you know, how the how the books look for a team. Like I, the last couple of years for Charlotte, I I have sort of thought because they were drafting later in the lottery, it was, I felt this way about Miles Bridges and PJ Washington. It was just get a guy in. You need to draft a guy that can be a starter or a rotation player. I'm worried less about age and I'm worried less about like the, the like 99th percentile of this prospects upside or whatever. And so like when we, like we talked about Kevin Porter jr. Versus PJ Washington, I'm just Perry picking that as an example last season and I was really iffy about Kevin Porter Jr. It looks like, you know, he ended up doing some kind of nice things late in the season for Cleveland. Like he, he could end up being a, a real player. He's got a ways to go, especially as like a, a, a passer and a defender, but in terms of getting his own shot, that's intriguing. But I just thought all of the, the potential bad habits this guy has, I mean, yeah, maybe they could have worked out in Charlotte's system, which is sort of like, friendly on development and has a, as a smart X's and O's coach. But I just thought you get a guy like PJ and in, and again, I thought PJ was a better prospect in general too, but I thought the safety of PJ as a prospect was appealing because the Hornets just needed to get somebody in the door that you could say, okay, this guy, maybe he's just our fourth or fifth starter, but he's at least a starter rotation player. And he's a guy that fits in where the NBA is going uh, now and for the next 10 years, potentially. There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? Bet Online has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. Bet Online, your online wagering experts. All right, let's get into revealing our big board. I, I think the best way to do this is just kind of do a handful, three at a time, and then just kind of talk about why we ranked the players that we did. So we're going to actually do our top three first and maybe give me some strengths and weaknesses as to why you had that player ranked where they were. And then we'll kind of go from there because we do have some of the similar players in the top 10, but there's definitely some variants here. So I'm going to go ahead and reveal my top three. Uh, I have Anthony Edwards at one. I have Killian Hayes at two and LaMelo Ball at three. The reason I like Anthony Edwards uh, the best out of this class is because of his high ceiling. Uh, he is one of those players that we kind of talked about that has that variance between his floor and his ceiling. I, I think his floor is kind of on the lower to medium side. But, you know, just looking at this guy, you know, he has all the size and athleticism that you would want out of a prospect. He can create his own shot, get into the teeth of the defense, and uh, he's very explosive. Like, he, he can almost get any shot that he chooses if he kind of puts his mind to it. He can also create off the dribble, which is a very important skill on the next level. He likes to use hang dribbles and and you know create rhythm and get defenders on their heels. Uh, the one or two weaknesses that I do see in him is just kind of that effort and overall getting into a stance on the defensive side of the ball. There's just too many things that just rely too much on effort on his end and it doesn't show in the tape but I guess that could be something that could be fixable uh, if he has the right mindset uh, Killian Hayes I had at number two because I just love his vision his passing he can pass out of the pick and roll which we know NBA is a very high pick and roll league he knows where his teammates are at all times and I guess the one weakness that I kind of highlighted with him he's just an average athlete and left-hand dominant. I do think in comparison to Edwards, he has a higher floor, probably has one of the highest floors in, in my opinion, but I don't necessarily think his ceiling is as high as Edwards. And then I have uh, LaMelo Ball at number three, very good ball handler, very good playmaker, somewhat high IQ and awareness for the most part. He's very skilled passing the ball off the dribble. 
Uh, he can draw defenders away from the bigs as he gets into the paint and, and, and passes man open. More of a scorer to me, not necessarily a complete all-around shooter. The, the issues that I do have with ball kind of relate to his shot selection. And like his brother, he has that odd shooting form. So, Brian, kind of give me your rundown of your top three and, and why you have the players where they're at. I think these first three guys, you can sort of go in, in almost any order. As far as the first like three guards, wing-type players, um, I had LaMelo one. I, I just think his ceiling out of Hayes and, and Edwards and, and Ball is the highest. Um, you know, possible pick-and-roll engine. He's a ceiling raiser uh, for an offense. Really good pick-and-roll passer. Really good pick-and-pop passer. Great transition passer. Um, understands stands tempo. Maybe he himself has some sort of like athletic issues in terms of uh, burst. But man, as far as his ability to pass and influence tempo with his vision, it, I think it's pretty special. Yeah, his shot, obviously the percentages were, were pretty bad this season in Australia. Um, he took seven threes per game. I think he was, yeah, 28% um, down in the, the NBL this season. But I think he's going to shoot it. I think he's going to shoot it off the dribble. And I think with his size at 6'7", good wingspan, doesn't turn 19 until August. I just think all of that along with some, what I think will give you is pretty good team defense. And, and a guy that, you know, I don't expect him to be a stopper or like a marquee point of attack defender. But I think he can eventually hold his own on that end and be fine defensively uh, in terms of uh, team defense and help defense. So, uh, yeah, this is one of those cases where I think maybe sometimes I tend to lean a little more conservatively and go with the guy that I think has the higher floor, which in this, in my opinion, if you're looking at Ball and Hayes, which were sort of 1A, 1B for me, Hayes has the higher floor. Mm-hmm. And, and I think in some, in some, if you play out this draft, Hayes is going to end up being the best player in this draft in, in some of those realities. Um, but yeah, I went, I went with LaMelo and I think a lot of it will come down to see if, if this guy can be hold his own defensively, doesn't shoot his way out of the league. And, you know, does he end up being a primary creator or a connector, which is actually something we talked about on the podcast when we went in deep with him You know, his brother has not really found his way quite yet as a pick and roll scorer, even though he's really come on as a spot up player. You know, they're, they're different players, but yeah, he's got some habits to correct defensively. Like he gambles for a ton of steals. He sort of, the effort can waver sometimes too, but I think in the NBA is the chance to lock in. Like you said about Hayes, I just, the shot creation is, is awesome. Um, the step back, he's got a really smooth lefty jumper and can create a lot of space with that step back look too. He feels like a guy, you just put him in primary or secondary creator either way like he's just going to instantly help your offense just instantly give you the chance at having um, a top 10 offense um, once he starts to sort of like figure out how to play in the NBA good spot up player so he can move off the ball like I think his fit with Devontae and Charlotte would be phenomenal 6'8 wingspan turns 19 in July has already got a lot of pro experience too and yeah he looks like a legit two-way player like you feel pretty good about this guy on the ball as a defender and and as a team defender, I think he's a floor raiser. I think you know I think Lamelo is the ceiling guy, and, and Hayes is sort of the the floor raiser for your team. Um, I think he has a chance to be to, to be a guy that could you know make an All Star game or two, an elite passer, a very real pick and roll upside, ball screen usage, thirty eight percent assist rate across all competition last season, and he's put together some just monster three-point shooting performances too. So really like him. Uh, Anthony Edwards, powerful athlete, 69% at the rim, 27 dunks this season. He has some of those downhill drives where, you know, he splits a ball screen or he turns the corner or whatever. And his speed from 20 feet out to dunking at the rim, I mean, man, he looks it is he looks like such a pro when on some of those on some of those really physical drives. Like just a lot of physical athletic tools. And, you know, if you buy the shot making, then yeah, you can probably talk yourself into this guy as the this the top guy in the class. I worry about the bad habits. Yeah. Um he settles. God, there's some games he just He'd be dominating halfway through and then just all of a sudden just settle for like three 17 foot pull ups in a row and, or, you know, just pull up three. And, and then all of a sudden that would start to impact his, his effort defensively. So for him, I sort of, I'm interested to see where he lands, what the fit looks like. Like I'm hoping he gets into a, a system that allows him to develop like, you know, Edwards in Atlanta would be awesome next to Trey young and with Lloyd Pierce as a coach, but 
you know, you think about him with the, the Knicks or the Pistons or something like that. Uh, I worry maybe a little bit, but no. So anyways, I like all three of these guys. I think they're all worthy in conversation for the top pick, but I think LaMelo, because he has the highest ceiling of the three, I went with him one, Hayes two, Edwards three. That's, that's interesting because in my mind, I think Edwards has a slightly higher ceiling than Ball, but uh, they're, they're both there with that high kind of ceiling there. Now, Spencer top three is a little bit different than ours in the sense that he has somebody in the top three that we don't. Uh, but go ahead, Spencer, and give us your top three. So I have Anthony Edwards as really the, the, the clear tier one, uh, I think, prospect here. I, I just think he's easily got the, the highest ceiling. I mean, his, his combination of explosiveness, which Brian was touching on, um, and and athleticism is it's kind of unmatched certainly at his position you know in this draft the only other guy you can really turn to is is james wiseman um you know in that realm but you know brian you brought up something i was going to talk about and that's you know anthony edwards probably underrated ball skills at this point i think he mm-hmm. is going to be able to play in the pick and roll um the feel is very inconsistent, but it's certainly there. I mean, you brought up the point of him splitting ball screens and how quickly he gets to the rim. And if you want to stand in between him and the rim from when he hits about the top of the lane line in the rim, then that's at your own volition. Probably not a great choice. If, if he learns to consistently play hard and learns to play within himself and he finds a defensive uh, zest and motor – I think that the rest of really the skeleton of Edwards game is, is enough to make him an all-star caliber player one day. Um, you know, we've seen the pull-up shooting potential, uh, you know, off the dribble pull-up shooting potential. I think that, you know, if you go back and look at some of his Maui invitational highlights from, um, you know, this past season, that's, that's a good way to, to see that. And then his explosiveness is just kind of evident all across the, all across the season with his dunking ability and ability to get to the rim. But it just all comes back to, he doesn't play hard enough consistently enough. And that really, really shows up on defense. Um, and, you know, and as a, as a six, five, six, six wing, like you need to be able to guard a few positions. You need to, you don't have to be a stopper, but you certainly need to be a presence and you need to be a good help defender. You need to, you know, you be, need to be able to control the ball. And these are some of the things that Edwards really struggled with. Uh, number two, I've got Killian Hayes. I mean, you guys brought up a lot of you know great things about Hayes. I, he's left-hand dominant. I mean, that's probably the one real black eye on his, uh, on his profile. He really has no right hand at this point. I'm not as worried about that. Uh, coming into the NBA, number one is age. I think he's got time to develop that. Number two, you can't you can't hand check in the NBA, so he's really still going to be able to get to where he wants to go, you know, with ball screens. And he's got a little, he's got some zip off the bounce just to like beat his man. He's not an incredible athlete, but he's a good enough athlete. And probably from what I've read and and for, from how he's being scouted, a little bit of an underrated athlete. I actually think. For, for as high on boards as he is. And I think Killy, like in the mid zone, so what we talk about with like Devontae where he really struggles, you know, coming around that ball screen, uh, you know, and, and if team gives him a runway, he's, he's not good in that mid-range area. He's not good in that floater area. Killian Hayes is awesome in that area. Four-level score. Four-level score. No question. And it's yeah. why he shot 48% from the field last year. Um, because he can score in that area when you drop, you want to blitz him, no problem. He can split the screen. Um, I, he just has such a complete offensive game to me. You brought up his step back shooting. Uh, you can tell he's watched some James Harden <laughs> film with some of those shots. So really impressive stuff. I, I think he's got a chance to be the best player in this class when it's all said and done. And then my third uh, ranked prospect is Onyeka Okongwu. So the kind of combo versatile four and a half type of player i would call it from usc okong was just a classic like used in the worst way possible in college <laughs> kind of player like I, they i'm sorry but they could not have used him any worse last season he was playing next to a, a seven footer they could score it in a few different ways um so he had to play this middling forward position um but look he's I think got the potential to be the best defender 
in this entire class. I think, I don't know if he can switch one through five competently, but he can certainly be a really strong pick and roll defender. I think he can, on any mismatch, he's not a guy that's going to be on an island that you're worried about. I think he can keep up with guards. He has an incredible wingspan. He's a good shot blocker. He plays with a really high motor. You know, for a big who really got very few chances to play with the ball in his hands, you know, in kind of the, in the role area, I think he has some passing instincts that you're going to find in the NBA runs the floor uh, incredibly well. I, I, you know, he, I think Okongwu, I'm confident. And this is, it's, it's hard. It's easier to say for a guard because it's easier to project their strengths. I think other than a big, especially a big that was used right. badly in college. But mm-hmm. I think Okongwu might have one of the highest floors of any prospect in this whole draft. So I, I think, I think he'd be a really good fit in Charlotte too. I'll end with that. Yeah, I think his defense gives him a high floor. I think it really does. He's he's the best center in this draft by a lot, in my opinion. I agree with you, Spencer. I think he's got real switch potential. Um, you know, maybe not one five right now, but close to it. You know, I think he can guard, move with, uh, with with opposing perimeter ball handlers in the NBA. I think the way he was used defensively at USC was just he's not anywhere close to where he could. He could be towards attaining his potential. I think there's a lot of untapped uh, aspects to that. And I'll be curious to see. He's a good screen setter offensively. He definitely has some utility in the short role, or at least I, I think he projects to have some of that, especially because he is such a good screen setter. So if you put him with some good guards, that you know they could do some damage offensively. And just having more spacing and shooting around him should shore up. And he was pretty damn efficient at the rim and on post-ups. I mean, his percentages were good in both of those categories, even though he was sort of playing inside of a, an airplane bathroom with the Trojans. Right, right. And it's one of those things, like Spencer mentioned, like it's, it's hard to, sometimes it's hard to project where he's going to be in a modern NBA game when he's strictly being put in like, post-up situations you, you, you want to see yeah. him stretch the floor a little bit yeah. especially projecting to the next level so let's go ahead and reveal our four five and six and i i will say that these three i was like interchanging these three like every so often i was like okay i just got to stick with the three and keep it how i have it right now so number four i have uh tyrese halliburton number five uh, as spencer mentioned i have a kongwu and then at number six i have devin vassell so the reason i have halliburton at number four i really really do love his play making ability his high IQ and his uh, three-point shooting despite that kind of awkward looking shot did shoot the ball really really well from deep and like Killing Hayes he has great vision and he has some flash like LaMelo Ball um, he's actually really good at on the defensive side jumping those passing lanes on defense and his length clearly helps in, in that aspect and and getting out and transition I, I do worry a little bit about his strength and, and his build can he create separation on the next level off the bounce against these NBA NBA bodies uh, if he doesn't beef up a little bit and that kind of gets me to my next point like with his form and with his lack of strength can he create off the dribble and shoot I mean it, it's kind of a, a wind up shot it is not the quickest I mean it, it went in from deep but when you put him on the ball which he's going to be a lot can he score off the dribble I will say that I think because of his high IQ and, and his playmaking ability I think his floor is somewhat high but I just never know about that off the dribble shooting. Back to Akongwu and, and and Spencer's point here. I really do love his. Uh, I guess his biggest strength is his shot blocking on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, we saw really really good post play from him. His his footwork was great. He can actually finish with either hand around the basket. I think his defined role as of now in the NBA would be like a pick and roll rim runner. But it would be interesting to see if he could maybe turn into kind of a bam like you know maybe passing the ball a little bit better out of the high post and you just didn't really see that a lot offensive rebounding is really good for with the congo as well he has that second jump the reason i didn't have him in the top three uh, as spencer did I just worry about his ability to stretch the court like is his game made for the modern nba like obviously he can make that jump 
but right now I'm just not seeing it. Uh, and then his handle, while good, uh, can kind of sometimes get loose when he gets too aggressive and, and kind of barrels into multiple defenders. Like he sees a lot of space or he feels like there's a lot of space and he just dribbles into the teeth of defense and, and kind of loses control there. And then Vassell, who I view very similarly to Halliburton, uh, just kind of without the playmaking. I, I, obviously, we talked about this before the recording. He's a better defender. He does have a three-point shot. In his his shot form is it's not bad by any means. It's, it's way better than Halliburton, but it does have a, a little bit of a, uh, I don't know, like a Gerald Wallace-looking shot where it kind of pulls it across his face. The one thing that I will say about Vassell on offense is he too one-dimensional, meaning is he only someone that's going to score off catch and shoots? Can he score with the ball in his hand? But I will say that he his floor to me also, like Halliburton, is high. I was considering switching Vassell and Halliburton. And uh, if you were to ask me today, like one player in my top 10 that I feel like is falling, it might actually be Halliburton. Uh, Spencer, let's go to you because you didn't have ball in your top three. And I kind of want to see where you have them in these next set of uh, players. Go ahead. Well, I've got him in number four, a um, little bit reluctantly. I'll be full disclosure <laughs> here. I, do, I am not a LaMelo ball fan. I, I do see you're not, that. You're not a big baller, dude. Sorry. I, 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 I'll admit I've never... I've never bought a pair of a big ballers or whatever they're called. And, and uh, I'm not a fan of, uh, of the youngest here in LaMelo either. Now I shouldn't say I'm not a fan. I mean, I, I, I see that I see that he might have the most like translatable skill of some of the best prospects. I've heard, I've heard a lot of that. Um, if you're tuned into draft coverage, you've heard that too. I mean, his passing abilities fill for the game, how he sees the floor. I mean, it's, it really is. It's second to none. What I don't want to go too deep with ball because I can tell you what I don't like about him all day, but I think that he's been playing basketball his whole life. And unlike a lot of these guys, unlike the guy that I got ranked number one, Anthony Edwards, who I think has still got plenty more to show, there's a part of me just kind of thinks LaMelo just is what he is a little bit. And that's not the – you know, the, the three, you know, the almost 20 points a game, you know, seven, eight rebounds a game and more than eight assists in Australia. That's not going to happen in the NBA. And I hear all these people say, and I really want to make it clear that I'm pushing back on this, that he's going to be like players are going to love playing with him. Um, when I say I think he is who he is, I mean, he's he's going to take a, a bunch of bad shots and get a bunch of eye rolls from coaches and his teammates I think maybe his whole career. Like, I just, I don't get, nobody talks about that, about how that part of his game is just, it's just like we expect it's suddenly going to go away. He he thinks he is Kobe, right? He thinks he's one of these irrational confidence guys. I don't think that's going anywhere. And so when people say, God, guys are going to love playing with a little mellow ball. He sets you up, he gets you open shots. That's true. He also takes away a lot of shots, from teammates because he falls in love with this awful jump shot seven and a half times a game and shoots 25%. I mean, like that's the kind of stuff where like, I'm just not confident it's going away, but again, he does have one of the most translatable skills. He's six, seven, you know, he is a good rebounder for his size. He can set up dudes and he's going to be a good transition player, I think. So he has to be like a top four prospect. Hey, Spencer, can I ask you a quick question? Because you talk about this guy that has this irrational confidence and it's it's one of those things yeah. where you probably can't unteach that stuff. But what's the difference between that and maybe like a motor effort? Like, for example, Anthony Edwards, like you can't really teach effort on the defensive side of the court. Um, he has all the physical tools, but how do you teach effort or how, do, how, how can you overcome that, I guess, as, a, as someone who evaluates him versus maybe LaMelo Ball? Yeah, no, I mean, it's a great question. I think that, and that's why I brought up Edwards when I was talking about ball. I think that Edwards started playing basketball late. He was a football player most of his most of his life. Um, always been an incredible athlete. I think that he's a guy that, <clears throat> I think he's a good kid from everything you read, number one. Right. I think he's someone who wants to be really, really good. You mentioned the physical tools. I think that he will figure out how to play hard more consistently. With LaMelo, it's just, it's different to me because he's been playing so long. And I think that his, his style and his motor and his demeanor is a little bit more groomed. This isn't something you can measure. This is just my opinion. Right. But, but I, I do think I would rather much rather take the, the bet or the, the gamble, if you will, on a guy like Anthony Edwards, who I can get into my system. I can get him to buy in. Then, 
And I know this sounds like I'm coming at Lamelo because of like the ball, you know, because he lives under the ball umbrella, and that gives you a bad rap and all this stuff. But guys, it, it's on tape. Like we get to see it on tape. Like I'm not, I'm not judging the kid's character. I'm just like it, it's right in front of us. So I, I guess that's the difference. It, that makes any sense, Richie. But I mean, it's a good question. Like I said earlier, this stuff works both ways, right? Right. <laughs> All right, so number five, I have Denny Advia. I, I really, really, really like him. There, if there's a guy in my top five that's going to jump, I think it might be him. I think he's got – I've seen a lot of comparisons, um, and most of them Eastern Europeans, predictably. But I think he's got more athleticism and, and playmaking chops probably than he's getting credit for. I think he is an absolute phenomenal fit in Charlotte. No, Charlotte should not be drafting for fit, but he might be the best fit. Um, in this whole draft for the Hornets and where their roster stands right now, I believe in his jump shot. I know there's some some different you know different opinions about that. It looks like he's really working hard on that right now. But even last season, um, I, I think the jump shot looks good. It's just a little inconsistent. I think it's going to go in, in the NBA when he has to have the ball in his hands, maybe a little less. He's got a really good feel for the game, as I mentioned earlier. He can set up his teammates. I think the thing for Advia, you, you look at and you kind of scratch your head is what is his ceiling? You know, I don't think he's a two or three time, four time right. all-star. I think he's a really good glue guy um, who's a versatile offensive player and defensively might have to hide him a little bit, but I think he's, he competes. That's what I really like about this guy with his weaknesses, which is defense is that he competes. And, and there were a lot of teams in Europe last year that tried to post him up. And I think watching him in those situations when I was like, okay, this is a guy I want on my team. <laughs> He plays hard. Um, number six on my board, I've got Isaac Coro. This this might be a little bit of a surprise to, to a lot of people. I, it's another guy that was in a system at Auburn, you know, where he didn't have to, he didn't get to have the ball in his hands a lot. And I don't think we got to see everything he can do with the ball in his hands. Not to the level of Advia with, with the playmaking skills or the shooting, but I do believe in his shot coming online. And he does have a step back and he has some footwork. Um, with the ball in his hands and in a step back jump shot that's probably not being talked about enough either. But it's just, just like your typical, like your prototypical NBA, like two to three wing stopper. I mean, he's got a football body. He is a good rebounder. He's going to make defensive plays. The stats don't jump off at you defensively, but I believe in his potential to control the basketball and really, really, really be a good team defender. Um, he actually rated one of the highest on my top 14 in index. So I like Okoro a lot. I think he's got more ball skills than we've been able to see, which is why I've, I think mostly I've got him this high. Yeah. I think with, with Denny, with Okoro, you're looking at, you know, big wings that can, that can pass and, and play a few positions. So there's some, some nice versatility there. Denny's just such a cool, like link up player. Um, his passing in transition, his ability to, to, to live dribble pass and, and to find shooters or guys in the dunker spot for finishes is is really special. And you pair that with someone like like PJ, who who has some of that to his his game as well too. His ability to stretch and to attack closeouts um, that's that's super it's super interesting. Um, and again, uh, Denny just feels like a guy. You know, you put him on the court, you're going to get more ball movement, more player movement, and all of a sudden, you know, you're offense is just like in-house organically getting better um so yeah i like i like denny a lot he's sort of risen up a lot for me recently and um yeah i, I think he's gonna t turn out to be a pretty good starter in the in the nba for a while as far as the shot goes seems like there have been really big improvements there and i think he's gonna end up getting to you know league average in volume and i think i think a coro can do that too we talked about that on the podcast with the coral a while ago like if you are one of these guys, like it's sink or swim with that three point shot, you know, and I think if that's the case, then the percentages get to the mid thirties and, and the volume gets there and you're willing to at least take those shots too. So I feel pretty good about that. I will a couple things to circle back on Richie. I, you having uh Halliburton for, it's yeah. funny because like I, I've spent the last couple of months assuming I was the highest on Halliburton in this group. And I think I have him ranked. In fact, no, I do. I have him ranked lower, <laughs> lower than, uh, than anybody. So it's funny how these things can, can play out. But as far as Devin Vassell goes, like if you've been listening to this pod or you follow me on Twitter, like, you, you know how I feel about Devin Vassell. I, I thought last spring, this guy had the chance to blossom into a, a solid three and D prospect 
And I think he shot through all of those expectations. He's still just 19. He's played a, a lot of leverage minutes, big time college basketball already in a good system that pumps guys into the NBA in Florida state, but just like in his own tier, as far as the help and team defender goes in this draft, his ability to dig down from the wing force steals, incredible backside protection can switch and guard a lot of positions guarded one through five this season at, at Florida state. It certainly competes when he gets matched up with a bigger guy in the post, but his ability to like deter passes from 20, 30 feet away by just lurking around the backside of the defense, like a free safety is just, it, it's special. Um, offensively, like you, I think you can buy the three point shot. Um, 42% on 168 three-point attempts during his career. It's uh, pretty good. He's got a really nice – he's got what I think is a pretty nice-looking shot. The release point is so damn high. You know, even if he has some of these issues with burst and his inability to separate, which that's, I think, like the one sort of knock on him, aside from also maybe some, some, some passing limitations as well, too. But I think he's sort of scratching the surface there. But the steals and the blocks numbers are incredible. Low mistake player. And then this season, you saw him for the first time ever sort of turn it on as a pull-up shooter. These were shots he just didn't get in a limited bench role his freshman year, but – Spot up dribble jumpers this season, 50% effective shooting, 80th percentile in the country. And then overall in the half court off the dribble, Devin Vassell in the 68th percentile, 41% effective shooting off the catch this season, 61% effective shooting, 87th percentile. And like he did have some flashes in terms of passing and, and, you know, creation for others when he just didn't have a lot of opportunities at Florida state. We'll see if that's something that he just can't do, or if that was sort of a byproduct of, of the system that he was in and, and Trent Forrest sort of playing on the basketball and, and sort of like the one initiator for the Seminoles last season. What are your but, thoughts on him getting to the rim? Cause that, that seems to be kind of a weakness of his, like his strength and, and scoring. Yeah, I mean, the like I said, like the, there are concerns with, with the burst and, and yeah, it's like he, off the dribble he didn't get to the rim uh, a ton this year he shot 70 percent at the rim but almost two-thirds of those looks were uh um, were assisted on now he's like he's a demon in transition going up to catch lobs and stuff like that but as far as like off the dribble yeah there wasn't like a ton of that but he's such a good shooter too off the dribble and he has really good footwork to go along with that high release point the way like I think it's interesting because I think he has trouble sort of separating with his burst going forward off the dribble, but his ability to separate on the, on his little step backs, the footwork on that is really good and he can create space. And with that high release point, like that's a tough shot to really bother in, in contest. And if he's going to make a good number of them, um, that's tough to guard. He shot 43% along twos this season, a damn near 80% of those were on, un, were unassisted too. So uh, like, like, I agree if you draft this guy and you, you have him set up to be your second creator or whatever, perhaps you're locking yourself into something there. But but I don't know. Maybe that may not necessarily be the case. And I think he's going to shoot it off the catch from deep. And I think his team defense is just so damn good. I think he's a guy that could make all NBA defensive team rosters. And so, yeah, I, I think he is a, a safe pick with um, – with, with some very real upside. So yeah, I'm, I am, I know I'm a, I'm a, a, a hawk for Vassell, but uh, he's my guy in this draft and I'll, I'll cape up for him probably before anyone else, because I think he uh, has the chance to be a, a very good, good pro. And if he falls to Charlotte, I, I think they've gotten uh, quite lucky. All right, let's get through our last four prospects of the top 10 and let's try to go a little bit quicker through these. Yeah. And, and Spencer, I'm going to have you start us off with your next four players. All right. So at number seven, where am I at? So, yeah, seven. I've got Obi Toppin. Uh, love his offensive ceiling. I mean, this guy, if if he's posting up, he's going to score. He can step out and hit threes from all over the floor. Um, he can put it on the floor a few times, get to the basket. He is probably the most – well, we'll see with Wiseman. He might be the most explosive vertical athlete in this draft. I mean, his offensive ceiling is just unbelievable. Like, if you go watch his highlights from last year, 
I know that like Amari Stoudemire is like the easy comp, but like it's hard to watch him and not make the comp. <laughs> the way that, the way he looks going through the air, it looks like Stoudemire. Yeah, you know, like, the, the way like, he the way he he gets up and can like levitate and move with power through the air is uh, it's special. So it really similar. Is. Yeah, it's so similar. I can't feel too guilty. Now on the defensive end, it's much different story. <laughs> Help! I, I, yeah. Help. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, so I but. Here's what I think about top and why I'm having seventh and firmly in my top 10 is that I think his offensive ceiling is so high skill level on that end is so high and he doesn't necessarily have to play five. In fact, I don't think he's going to play five on the next level. I I think, think yeah, I think he's a four. And so I think that means that I think that means that you could probably hide him a little easier on defense. Also, here's the other thing. It's just like I know he's 22 years old, but like his, it's just his hips are just like so stiff. I feel like get this man some yoga, dude. Like badly. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying that Dayton had like a bad like sports performance department or anything, but but I am saying that maybe in an NBA strength and conditioning program he could increase some flexibility and actually maybe there's a little defense to tap into. I'm not bullish on that. I'm just trying to be optimistic. All right, number eight, I've got Devin Fassell. Um, the ACC darling of, of this draft. I, look, I love the cell too. I mean, I, I really mm-hmm. do. I think he's, again, you talk about high floors. He might be the highest floor prospect of this draft as well. I mean, his defensive impact is incredible. Brian, you know, went through that and Brian went through all of his shooting numbers too. He's just, here's my thing with the cell. He's a classic three and D like prototypical three and D wing prospect. I, for me, I'm just not putting one of those guys in my top five because I don't I don't know if Vassell can play with the ball in his hands, and I'm not sure that this player is going to have the opportunity, no matter where he's drafted, to play the ball with the ball in his hands. Now, if he goes to Detroit or somewhere like this, sure they'll give him a shot. If he can do that, he's got a shot to be one of the best players in this draft. But I, I just I don't think that is part of Vassell's game. If it is, it's going to have to be developed from this point going forward. And so, and so, I think he's a great player. I think he's kind of a can't miss prospect. I just don't believe in some in in the top three, four, whatever ceiling that that I've seen him in in some places. Number nine and probably my favorite prospect out of this whole draft, uh, Kira Lewis Jr. I just love watching the guy play basketball. I mean, he's, so much fun. He, he he shot out of a cannon. Uh, he reminds me a lot of De'Aaron Fox. Not all the. Um, not all the physical tools and, uh, and intangibles maybe Fox has, but, but very similar in terms of speed. It, you, you know, if he gets a switch, he's getting to the rim, period. He's getting at least a, two feet into the paint. And then can he make the right decision, whether it's a floater or kicking out to a teammate from there? That's something he's still got to prove. But he has, like LaMelo Ball's passing and, and floor vision, Kira Lewis might have one of the most translatable skills in this whole draft is just speed. I mean, he the kid is shot out of a cannon. He's got a smooth-looking jump shot. He can get into it really easily off the bounce. Um, I, you know, there are – as much as I like him, though, I have come to grips lately, though, that, like, there are – because he's very slight in frame, um, there are scenarios in where he doesn't make it um, just, just because of how small he is and he's, he's a high turnover player. I, I'm confident both of those, those things get fixed. He puts on some muscle. You know, he, he becomes a he, he gets a better feel for the game, doesn't turn the ball over as much. It can be a true point guard, not just this, this really fast, good shooting guard. So I believe in Kara Lewis a lot. That's why I'm in my top 10. And then number 10, Tyrese Halliburton. I like him a lot. He might be the smartest basketball player from top to bottom and most disciplined player that plays with that high of a usage rate uh, in this whole draft. So you got to love that about him. Gets his teammates involved. Richie brought up his jump shot earlier. Not a great looking jump shot, but damn, if it doesn't go in. So we'll, we'll see how that uh, – we'll see how that – translates to the NBA. I'm a little worried about Halliburton's athleticism. I, 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 you know, I watch him dribble the basketball and, and play in pick and roll. And, and he just, he gets knocked off his spots too easily. Um, whether that be on a hard hedge, uh, he's slight in frames. So he definitely gets knocked off his spot physically. There's some, there's some red flags with Halliburton to me, but I think he's a smart enough player and probably the highest character guy in this whole draft, which is why he's getting a lot of love, I think. And also something that makes me nervous. You know, when guys get a lot of love because they're high character, yeah. maybe their game doesn't, doesn't speak as highly, makes me nervous. But he's a guy that I'd want on my team, so I have him in my top ten.
Yeah, the Halliburton scored very little in the, inside the paint this season off his own dribble. A lot of floaters, or he is an excellent pick and roll passer. Like he's the best at finding you know weak side shooters and just zipping lasers to them. So he feels like a guy that can sort of like help out and raise the floor of your offense, but just you know maybe more of a connector than a, than a primary guy, and that gets into you know some other sorts of questions. But I really like Halliburton, and to your point, Spencer, about him being like a team first guy. I was rewatching. Kansas State, uh, Iowa State a couple weeks ago. Um, so actually, so I could watch some of uh, Kartid's uh, Jada, who's transferred to Virginia Tech this season. Um, that's the game that Halliburton was hurt, like messed up his wrist in trying to block a shot, like sprinted back on defense to block a shot and then injured the wrist on the way down. And then he missed, like he played for a few more minutes in the second half and he was done for the rest of the season, like college career over. But after that injury, A, he stuck around on the bench. He was the first guy up whenever Iowa State, like, made a play, cheering. And he literally tried to play with one hand in the second half. It was really – it was kind of dumb on his part, but, like, awesome to see too, you know what I mean? So, as far as character and effort goes, like, this guy seems like he's going to empty the bucket for you every night. Um, That's the the one thing that I I wish, like – you know, we're, uh, we're armchair like scouts here, you know, yeah. that I wish we had a little bit more access to is it, it's cool. Like what Mike Smith does with a lot of these uh, prospects, but you know, that's the one thing I wish I had more access to is just like, what kind of humans are these kids? I mean, yeah. it would help exponentially with yeah. radio. But if you, if you read and then you watch some of the interviews with Halliburton, it's just, he, he, I mean, he's like one of those guys who could be a politician one day. He's just got a phenomenal character and a yeah. great demeanor. Yeah, like I said, I, I feel fortunate to, especially the Duke guys, but other triangle guys at State and UNC, I get to spend time around those guys. And because of that, get to be around the ACC guys. Like, I, I, I hope Trent Forrest goes in the second round to some to some team out of Florida State, or if not, the, the Hornets should absolutely try to bring this guy in as an underactive free agent. But, like, Trent Forrest's character is through the roof. That guy is as intelligent and patient of a, of a college athlete as you'll find. So I'm pulling for him for a variety of reasons and think that also works to his benefit going through the rest of my list, which is um, interesting. You have, you have two players here that neither Spencer or I have. And I think one of these guys is a made up guy, but let, let's go ahead and get to these <laughs> seven through 10 yeah. here, Brian. Yeah. So <laughs> number seven, uh, Tyrese Maxey. Um, I just feel really solid with him as like yeah. a top eight or nine prospect. Great first step, amazing body control, good finisher at the rim, gets to the rim a lot, quick hands, strong hands, um, good first step. Maybe not a primary guy just yet, but I feel like he's a guy that you're going to let him run some pick and roll, let him try to create some, but yeah, not not right there as like an A1 half-court initiator yet. Um, but I think he can play with it off the ball in his hands, which I think complements in Charlotte, Devante, and PJ, and Miles too, for that matter. Good pick and roll score this season. Smaller guard, not great stocks numbers for Maxi, but good help defender, good point of attack defender. Um, yeah, I just think he's a really nice two-way player, even with some of the the creation concerns and with some of perhaps the defensive limitations just because of his his size and his lack of wingspan and stuff like that. So but but I like Maxi a lot. He's a competitor and I think he's gonna be able to shoot it off the catch and on the off the bounce at a at a good clip eventually. And you combine that with his drive game, I think you would have a, a really enticing attack-minded guard to add to a rotation. Uh, number eight, uh, Kyra Lewis, for most of the reasons that Spencer laid out, but just speed, 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 uh, can really score. Playmaking is starting to come online more and more as the season went along in Alabama. Great because of that shot, uh, his ability to shoot off the, the pull-up, just man, so much gravity. And those little hesitation crossover moves where he can sort of threat pulling up for a shot and then he can cross it and, and dart into the paint. Man, impressive. Elite first step with some shift and some craft. And um, also, like, yeah, he can play off the ball. Like, he's got a great shot. So does Tyrese Maxey, for that matter. Both those guys have, have beautiful shooting strokes. And, Richie, you and I talked about that last week with, with Tim Martin, who has mm-hmm. trained Tyrese Maxey. But I think Kyra Lewis, because of his ability to play on and off the ball, is just a really interesting um, prospect young for a sophomore, similar to Devin Vassell too, with already with a lot of minutes under his belt, which is, is interesting. Um, 
you know, if you're buying his speed and his shot making as his primary qualities, it just may take a little bit of patience. You're going to need this guy to come online and, and develop as opposed to like throwing him to the wolves and just saying, here's the ball. You're playing 35 minutes a game. I think he and Malik Monk aren't the same player, but I think when you have these young shot maker types, it's hard to just sort of come in the NBA and be like an efficient, impactful player right from the jump, especially if you like, if you're not a stud defensively. And I think Kyra can be, can be okay on the defensive end too. I'm not too worried about him there, even with as Spencer laid out some of the, uh, the size limitations, we talked about Isaac Okoro, uh, big wing who can pass, dude is built, can guard a bunch of different positions. I love his, um, perhaps his ability to play both sides of the pick and roll for him to play in DHOs, short roll, good passer. His vision is good. And I think the shot's eventually going to come around. And yeah, I just think he's a, a really nice two-way player. And I feel very strongly about him as a top 10 prospect. And then the dark horse and forgive me uh, to all all of our Serbian listeners out there if I if I mispronounce <laughs> any of this, but with number ten, Alexei Pukasevsky. Who? Yeah, yeah seven right. foot, seven foot, eighteen year old out of Serbia, just turned eighteen recently. If you do want to check him out, I I, I advise uh, from the the FIBA U eighteen tournament. There's a lot of those full games on YouTube. But wait, man, wait Brian, Brian, allow me. Puvisetsky, uh, do we do we have his highlight tape? Oh, okay, here it is. Puvisetsky's two years away from being two years yeah, away. Yeah, no, no <laughs> doubt, no, no doubt. I mean, like he is. Uh, the thing is, we talked we talked about at the top of this a while ago, like upside, right? And this is sort of the guy in a draft where I I think we all feel pretty good about the draft, like overall. Just it's missing a lot of like top end tier one, one A, one B talent, and this is a guy that you know, there's a chance he would have come in for the 2021 draft. And I think you could see him coming in next season. What's supposed to be a better draft as a top 10 prospect. So you could get that guy in house. Now you could get him on your weight, your conditioning program. Um, he has really nice. I mean, he's got grab and go potential. He can really pass, pass from the post, look for cutters. He's got that little mellow ball, Lonzo ball, one hand, like baseball style, hit ahead pass. He can do that as well, too. Um, really skilled passer, has some movement shooting abilities. That, in fact, the game I watched yesterday, he, he missed both, including one air ball. But uh, he took two three-pointers coming off pin downs, so he's got some movement shooting skills. He looks comfortable in the pick and pop, but he's going to have to get a lot, a lot, a lot stronger. Maybe 10 is a little bit of a reach for him here. But I feel like pretty safely this guy is being a, a, a late lottery, mid, mid-teens mid pick um, because the upside play is is real with uh, with Puko. No, I, I I get it. I just wanted to use the opportunity to do the famous Fran Fischel. Two years uh, away, yeah. Yeah. That, wait, who, I don't even remember who the pick was now. Um, it doesn't – you know what? Draft yeah. night this year, though, we need to, like – all of us are going to have to, like, shotgun a beer or something like that. When Fran, <laughs> when Fran comes in to, to mention two years away from being two years away. Oh, man. All right. I'll run through my 7 through 10 pretty quickly because we're at the hour mark here. And uh, I do have one player in here that you guys don't have in your top 10, and you guys can bag on me all you want. But anyway, number seven, I have uh, Obi Toppin, uh, like Spencer mentioned. Great athlete, excels in transition, can handle the ball a little bit, and uh, actually has shown some good passing decisions uh, at Dayton. Uh, and I think he's going to provide yes. spacing with his three-point shot. Uh, obviously, the, the the clear weakness on on his kind of resume here is his defensive technique and effort. And whether or not that can be taught, we'll uh, kind of never know. That That's a question that we kind of debated earlier in this podcast. Number eight, I have James Wiseman. You guys don't have him in your top ten. Uh, the reason I have him in my top 10, I just think he's going to come into the NBA and have a defined role. You know what you're going to get out of him. He's a pick and roll, rim runner, vertical lob threat. And then on the other side of the ball, he's a good rim protector. You're, you're going to get that on the next level. Now, whether or not he can defend in space, whether or not you think that he won't clog the lane, whether or not he's going to get that motor turned around, that that's a question that I do have of him. But I, I do kind of like that defined role that he's going to come in with on the next level. 
Number nine, I have this guy a little bit lower than you guys, Denny. I'm not sold on his athletic ability and I'm not sold quite yet on his shooting ability. I know there's been videos floating around with him in an empty gym making shots. It's still iffy on that for my end. Uh, and also, if you kind of look at the free throw shooting ability, uh, it was not that great if you kind of buy into that that translating uh, as a shooter. And then number 10, I have KLJ, Kyra Lewis Jr., we talked about him, great burst, great athlete, gets to his spots. He can score off the bounce. He can score you know, in catch-and-shoot situations. He can get to the rim. And Brian, kind of to your point, he's not a bad defender. I just think he's limited in who he can guard. Meaning, yes. You know what I mean? So like, you put mm-hmm. him at guarding the point guard position, I think he's an okay defender. But you try to get him to switch across multiple positions as of now, I, I just can't, I can't see that. You talked about Kyra Lewis in terms of kind of a team being patient with him. I think he himself also needs to be patient on the offensive side of the ball mm-hmm. uh, and kind of take things under control. So that that wraps up my top 10. I'm going to go ahead and read my top 10, and let's, let's do this one more time for the listeners. I got Edwards, Hayes, Ball, Halliburton, Okongwu, Vassell, Toppin, Wiseman, Denny, and then KLJ to round up my top 10. So BG, go ahead and give your top 10 again. Yeah, LaMelo Ball, Killian Hayes, two, Anthony Edwards, three, uh, Kongwu, four, Denny, five, Devin Vassell, six, Tyrese Maxey, seven, uh, Kyra Lewis Jr., eight, Isaac Okoro, nine, and uh, Puko at uh, number 10. Uh, Anthony Edwards, one, Killian Hayes, two, Onyeka Okongwu, three, LaMelo Ball, four, Denny Advia, number five, Isaac Okoro, number six, Obi Toppin, number seven, Devin Vassell, number eight, Kira Lewis Jr., number nine, and Tyrese Halliburton at 10. And we'll just mention, too, I said this to you guys before on air, but just for any any of the listeners, too, like I look forward to talking more Wiseman next week. Um, there was I don't think there's anyone mentioned by Richie or, or Spencer that I didn't have in my top 10 that won't land in my top 20. Um, and, in fact, most of these guys will end up in, in, in my lottery. And I'd like to talk more about Toppin and, and Wiseman the next time we do one of these draft pods because I have a, I have a few more thoughts on both those guys. Yeah, and I, I mentioned earlier that Halliburton was probably the one player that I have falling. BG, you mentioned Maxi. He's the one guy that I see rising up the ranks in mine. I, I have yeah. kind of like in that uh, 11, 12, yeah. 13, but uh, very well after I look into him a little bit more, he could be a top 10 guy for me. Okay, the, the last thing uh, I would just throw in about Wiseman, um, we can talk about this more again later, but, you know, I feel good about Double O as like a center that can play leverage minutes in the playoffs. I'm not, Wiseman, I'm not there, though I do think Wiseman is going to be a starting center in the NBA for a long time because he, he adds an important set of discrete skills, pick and roll, lobs, dunks, the vertical spacing, whether you, you know, buy into that or not. I But certainly as a guy that will be able to draw gravity in a, a four around one scheme i think eventually he'll find some level of water in terms of pick and roll defense and along with his rim protection could be an okay drop center my only thing with him is is like a top 10 guy just he's at such a a fungible position and that i feel like there are other ways you can find um that set of discrete skills that are cheaper and don't involve a lottery pick although wiseman's so damn athletic he's so tall and long that yeah maybe he's it's that's different than going out and you know spending a minimum contract to get somebody that can like you know play screen role or whatever yeah i i I agree on wiseman i mean he's one of those guys and we talked about a little bit before we jumped on here and and let's not spoil it too much because i know we're going to talk about him obviously next time but (laughs) um you know i just i can see it like i can see where he's the best player in this draft really can't you just can't you, I mean, he's a lab kind of player. Like you throw him in a government lab, you spit out this guy who's freakishly athletic, runs the floor like a deer, and has a seven-six wingspan. Like you, they just don't make humans like this very often. So I totally get it. But there's just some stuff in his background, specifically this past year at Memphis. Um, so such a low sample size, and, and maybe I put too much weight on background too much. But I just, I just don't want to have to be the guy who, who drafts him. <laughs> so like yeah. he, he probably truly is one of my top 10 ranked players to be honest and he might make his way there when it's all mm-hmm. said and done I, I just don't want to have to make the decision to draft this guy yeah it's a good point uh he has like deandre jordan vibes to me I, it might be the lefty 
might be the way that he plays. But uh, that was our top 10 prospects on our big board. Uh, not set in stone for me. I know, know that for a fact. I know mine will be changing as I, I look into these a little bit more. Uh, also, actually, our next two episodes are going to be report card episodes on the Hornets 2019-20 season. We're going to hand out A through F grades, and then we'll kind of get back into the big boards. I, I know we want to kind of do like a top 30 eventually. But again, thanks again for tuning in to another episode. Uh, if you want to support this podcast, please go ahead and give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and we will see you guys next time. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.